I'm joined today by Grant Fritchie, a database professional in the Massachusetts area. Thanks for joining me, Grant. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Hey, Grant, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, I work for Regate Software. I'm a product evangelist is my title. Basically, it just means um, I'm a teacher. Uh, I teach people database stuff, uh, SQL Server mainly, and uh, I also teach them Redgate software stuff. But uh, I travel around um, doing a lot of database tuning, um, build processes, uh, deployment processes, you know, fundamental DBA work, um, pretty much whatever people need to learn about, I'm, I'm there to, to help out. And aside from the Redgate work, are you involved in anything else? I do a little bit of light consulting on the side. And um, other than that, uh, you know, I go to CrossFit, lift <laughs> weights, put, pick things up, put things down. <laughs> you have a, um, a blog called Scary DBA. Yes. Where did the title come from? Well, I, I am the Scary DBA. Um, quick story. A developer needed help. They came to me. I helped them. Um, they ran back to the development team and said, hey, I've got the answer. And the development team said, wait a minute, which DBA did you talk to? Because at the time, some of our DBAs, there, were, there was a varying degree of strength. And he went, oh, you know, um, the scary one. And everyone went, oh, Grant. And, you know, and, and then started laughing and immediately called me and, and they made a, a nameplate for me and everything. How long ago was that? Oh, that was a good 10 years ago at least. Right, so it stuck clearly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I you know I took it and, and ran with it. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So today we're going to talk mostly about DevOps, and I've been reading a little bit about DevOps, and I've been talking with people at meetups about DevOps, and it seems to be a term that's very hard to pin down. So, in relation to database DevOps, could you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, well, I mean, it 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 is a term that's hard to pin down because I mean, people are tending to use it for whatever they want, and really it. It's about common sense is really what it's about. And if you go and read some of the documentation written by the guys who've come up with the DevOps practices, it's about common sense. It's about finding those mechanisms for the developers to work with the operations people, the operations people to work with the developers to cross over the lines, to, to make the lines disappear as necessary. It's not putting extra work on anyone necessarily. Um, it's opening up access for people to get their jobs done in a more efficient fashion. Databases in particular, you've got two phases to that, um, development of databases and then maintenance of the databases in the production environment. And then the hard part, which is getting that stuff that's been developed into production. Because crazy enough, businesses have got this idea that the data that they have needs to persist and, you know, if we could just deploy databases the way they deploy code, throw away the old DLL, put the new DLL in its place, we're done. We could do that with databases too, but then the data would be gone and people would complain. So we actually have to come up with mechanisms to make sure that the data is retained. And that makes at least our part of, the, of DevOps and our part of deployment uh, a little more difficult just because we've got to make sure that we retain that data over time. So on a day-to-day -day basis, what does that mean for someone working on DevOps and databases? Well, mainly it's not that different from any of the other operations people. Um, you're going to be working more tightly with the development team. Um, you're not you know, sitting there waiting you know, for them to say, okay, I'm done, and they throw something over the wall at you, and hopefully you catch it. 
you're going to be working with them, um, working through their development processes. As a matter of fact, Miss, one of the big things I always talk about when I when I talk to DBAs to get them to implement this type of process is I go, you look, developers are smart guys. They've been figuring out all these mechanisms for doing deployments, for doing development, for working in teams, working with source control, all these fun things. And all we have to do is piggyback on what they do. And so day to day, you're going to be, you know, writing queries or helping the developers tune a query or helping developers build a database structure. And you're going to be doing that through source control, but using the tools you already know. You're going to use T-SQL, PowerShell, whatever it is you like, and you're going to build out those things. You're going to come up with mechanisms for doing deployments. And then other than that, you do your same stuff. You respond to alerts. You make sure you've got backups in place. And it's, you know, largely your same job, but just a little bit more so that you've got a tighter integration, a tighter coupling with the development team so that you're assisting them in their processes and they're assisting you in your processes that, you know, you're making sure that what gets delivered works. So it's, you know, again, it's common sense. So in some of the companies I've been in, I've seen a large separation, not just sort of with regard to ideas, but physically within the company where the database team are and where the developers sit. And that's yeah. often led to a lack of communication and sometimes even animosity because there's an attitude of, you broke my database or your database doesn't perform fast enough. Right. And so would you see DevOps as trying to resolve this by integrating people physically closer? Um, yeah, I think it does. I mean, it, it, I don't think that DevOps itself calls for, you know, you're now on the development team as a DBA. Um, but I do think that it calls for you being responsible to a development team, that one of your additional customers now is the development team. And so you've got to work with those guys. Um, you've got to communicate with those guys. And, and frankly, they have to communicate with you. And it has to go both ways. Um, I made a point when I was doing all this stuff of being at the scrum, you know, being at the daily meetings, making sure that I was available you know, for that 15 minutes in the morning, which is, you know, come on, let's face it, no time out of anybody's day, really, in case there was an issue that was database related, I was right there. So I could say, oh, yeah, I've got that. And I'll be able to report back to you tomorrow during the scrum on how we resolved it, you know, and, and it's just normal, again, hooking into the development processes from a database standpoint, you know, I mean, you know, DevOps, right, just making that connection, making that communication and making it all smoother is going to reduce the problems on everybody's side and, and it will absolutely help. Now, I was responsible at one point um, for 10 development teams. And we were only able to do that because of all the automation stuff we put in place, which I know that we're going to be talking about a little later. Um, but it's the integration directly and tightly with those development teams makes a huge difference in what gets delivered out to the databases in, pro in your production environment and increases the stability in production. And it, it you know, it's, it's an amazingly – once you start to figure out, oh, gosh, if I get this stuff fixed when it gets developed – it's going to be that much easier for me to maintain over time. And and DBAs really quickly go on board and go, yeah, this is great. Let me work with the dev team. You know what I mean? And developers, I think, sometimes DBAs can be sticks in the mud, right? <laughs> we're, we're a bit jerky at times. Um, but developers, you know, they, they actually see the see the, the benefits over time of, you know, having a DBA um, help them set up the stuff appropriately. And um, it, it makes a difference, you know, I mean, especially once a DBA stops saying, you know, the uh, DBA's favorite word, right, is no, 
Mm, used to that. And yeah, as soon as DBA starts saying yes, they suddenly become extremely popular people. So that's that's the trick. Mm. Then if we turn to, let's say, the DevOps uh, relation with source control, how, how do they work together? Well, I mean, the whole idea of DevOps is to be able to get this flow going, right? Creating a pipeline. Stuff gets developed. It gets into production. Well, the foundation, the first step you've got to do is the same thing that the developers do. What's the first thing they do? They put everything into source control, okay? Databases have to go into source control as well. All for the same reasons, too. You want to have a place where you know You've got two known states, right? Production is known because you know what's out in production, and you know what's in source control. You know what's on a given branch, or you know, you know if you're labeling or, or however you're doing your versioning, whichever source control system you're using, you know what's in source control. You know what's in production. Every other system, you know, your sandbox server or my sandbox server or the dev server or the QA server or the staging server or any of the other testing machines, God knows what. We don't know what's any of those things. We might know because we just did a deployment. But if somebody else did a deployment yesterday or last week, do you know what version is there? No, probably not. But you know what's in source control and you know what's in production. So you start from source control. Further, source control allows you to integrate really tightly with the development team because once I've got my database structures, code, triggers, whatever, in source control, when the app guys go, yeah, we're on version 4.1.1, I go, yep, so am I. Done. That makes the communication mechanism so fast. It's, you know, it's that tight coupling, that really good integration. And it's using, frankly, the tools and communication mechanisms that the developers have built, just taking advantage of that stuff and using it. Again, I'm, I'm lazy, right? I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel here. I'm, I'm recognizing that you guys have built this awesome wheel. I'm just going to put it on my car, right? <laughs> and then we can drive. It's great. So um, let's see, the integration, um, also, frankly, auditing. Um, I want to know who made changes, right? Uh, I, I refer, uh, when I do presentations and stuff, um, I had to pick a name, and so I picked Timmy. Um, Timmy's this evil DBA slash developer. Um, he's the guy who does everything wrong. <laughs> so, um, so we hate when, Timmy, do we? Y- yeah, we hate okay. Timmy. So when Timmy's done something wrong, I need to know when, what he did, how he did it, where he did it, and as early as possible. And again, source control gives us that capability to audit the changes, to know what's coming. Uh, a lot of DBAs will be like, well, I don't want to like, r- let the developers make changes and let the developers do stuff because then I won't know what's happening. Well, as soon as you put them into source control, you can go in there you know, what, however often you want, once an hour, once a day, once a week, and you can see precisely what has been changed over that period of time. Ta-da! just solved your control problem. You're still in control, but you're also saying yes to your development team so they can get stuff done. How, I mean, did, it's, we, how, sorry, how did we go from the production version of the database to having it in source control? Okay, that's tricky. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, mainly, you're gonna, it's tooling. It's down to tooling. You can build your own, and I've, I've worked on a team that we did that. Um, it was difficult. Very hard to maintain, and I don't suggest it. I do suggest you pick up a third-party tool. Um, Visual Studio, uh, let's say we're in their Microsoft stack, I'm assuming, just making a guess. But um, Visual Studio has SQL Server database tools, SSDT, and it's a fantastic tool set. And it works directly with Azure SQL databases, um, SQL Server 2014, 2012, um, 
I think 2008 R2. And um, it will basically allow you to reverse engineer a database from any source and then put it right into source control. And the source control you can use is Git, TFS, Mercurial, whatever. Um, there's also third-party tools. Um, I, I work for Redgate Software. We make a tool called SQL Source Control. That works directly through Management Studio. So if you're a DBA who wants to get stuff into source control, you can use our tool. Um, and then, again, the same kind of concepts. We reverse engineer and we go into whatever source control system you use. If you've got TFS, we integrate right there. If you're using Git, you know, SVN, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of indifferent. Heck, if you want to use VSS, there's something wrong with you, but you could use VSS. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for a company recently that still was using VSS. Oh God! Yeah, that's that was one of the greatest things in the world when we put that thing to sleep. Um, but uh, anyway, using one of these tools, it's basically um, very simple to get your database code into source control. And when I say code, I mean structures, the the tables, the columns, triggers, store procedures, views, you name it, it goes into source control. With those tools, then you can begin the real process, which is automating your deployments. Because once you've got it in the source control, once you've integrated with your app dev code, then you're going to want to start to work the way the developers work. And that's just really, really what it's down to. Those guys are um, – I, I, you know, I mean, I, I came out of development. I, I mean, I've been a DBA for, oh gosh, a long time. Um, coming up on 20 years as a DBA – but um, I did start out in development, you know, many, many, many moons ago, and um, I've I've long believed developers know what they're doing, um, which makes me weird among DBAs. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's uh, I, I I do believe that they know what they're doing, and I absolutely want to integrate with them through the development processes. And source control is that starting point. But once you've done that, then you can also integrate with them along the further mechanisms. Um, you can start talking about automating your deployments, automating your testing, um, unit testing, um, you know, continuous integration, all that fun stuff. Do you find though, that there's resistance to moving to source control for databases? Yes. Yes, I do. A lot of it. And, and the bad news is it's not from the development team. Um, you start talking about, hey, I want to take the databases to source control. Um, I want to integrate tightly with you guys. And developers' eyes light up, right? They think it's just the greatest thing since sliced bread. You talk to a DBA, and, and their initial reaction is almost always no, right? First, first word out of a DBA's <laughs> mouth. Then their next – usually they respond with a question, well, what do I get for it, right? What will – you know, what does it do for me, right? Where, where can I use this? Why would I bother, right? It sounds like you're making me do extra work, and I'm not getting any benefit. And – you have to you kind of have to walk them through look auditing right it, i start you know i mean when i when i talk with developers i i talk integration and methodology and developers are ooh yeah that's great i talk dbas i go auditing right i can tell you who changed what oh boy that's great right D dbas get excited then talk about integration and and all the other fun stuff and and then dbas will will come on board but there's a lot of resistance on the dba team um, there just is, and and I, I I understand it. I just don't agree with it. Is this just that it's been this way for so long that they don't want to change, or they don't see the benefits? 
I, I yeah, I think it, I mean it's it's they don't see the benefits. Um, and let's face it, DBAs are are a fairly conservative bunch for for very good reason. Um, you know, at, at three a.m., you guys development are developers generally, and most companies are not on call. DBAs are, and at three a.m. when that server goes down, um, it's it's you know. Our bottom's on the line, and we have to get out there and, and do stuff and make it, you know, get it back online and make sure that everything's available. Or if it's 3 p.m. on a Saturday or a Sunday, or you know, if we've, we've had you know a couple of glasses of wine, it doesn't matter, right? We still have to dive in there and get that thing fixed. And so it makes us very conservative. It makes us paranoid control freaks. And and stepping into this DevOps thing where we're saying. We're going to surrender some control to developers. We're going to enable developers to do more. We're not necessarily we're not giving them the keys to the kingdom, right? You guys don't get SA privileges on production. That's not DevOps, right? But but I'm gonna I'm gonna open up a whole bunch of doors that that had not previously been open to you, so you can get your work done faster and smoother. That freaks DBAs out, and and I and again I understand why, but you need to assure them that that really. It's it's this isn't dangerous water we're going into. In fact, this is going to make things better in the long run. There may be some pain initially, I promise, but but in the long run, it's going to be a lot better. So, what are the the challenges or the pains you'll experience when moving? The first first and hardest one. Um, once you get to the point where you're automating builds and you're automating deployments, um, you begin to see a lot of the benefits real fast. The the difficulty comes in changing methodologies. And, and changing mindset, you are working out of source control, right? DBAs look at a database and, and, you know, there is my database, right? There is my code. That's the source. That's, you know, this is my, the location of my structures. And you can't think that way. You have to say, okay, everything originates in source control. And so any changes I make have to start in source control, I have to do it through code. Check out the, you know, ch- if I'm modifying a table, I check the table out of source control, or I do a branch, you know, whatever. Which again, whichever source control version we're using, our method, um, I'm going to create that thing. I'm going to pull that out. I will make the change, apply it to my database, check, you know, test it, check it back in, right? Following development paradigm, that is hard initially. Once you get into it, once you think that way, it, you don't you don't even notice the process anymore. It doesn't slow you down, but initially it's extremely difficult. And because of that, you both um, break lots and lots of deployments initially, which is painful. And people go, "This is stupid. Why are we bothering?" And it um, it adds a lot of time. While well, people kind of go, "Wait, think, hang on, I have to do this." Oh, okay. And further, another pain point that that comes up really frequently, people go, yeah, well, at 3 a.m. when I'm on the production server, I'm not going to source control first and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't either. Right? <laughs> it's, it's 3 a.m. You're going to get done exactly what you need to get done in a timely, timely fashion, meaning as, you know, you're going to be a total cowboy. I get it. Um, but what you then have to have is a process in place that says, okay, I made these three changes in production. Tomorrow, I'm going to go and get those three changes and get them put, you know, again, put a branch, do a label, whatever it is I'm doing with my source control system, but reintegrate those changes. Um, again, that creates a lot of pain um, and resistance. That's, that's also a resistance point as well as a pain point. 
So you have to get past that as well. Is the tooling that's available just as easy to use as it is for software development? <sighs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, like I said, I've, I've got a lot of experience in Visual Studio. I've been, I've been working with it for you know decades now. It's, it feels like. Um, so I have no issues going in there and, and firing up, you know, SSDT and, and making changes, you know, checking my stuff out of source control, making changes, writing my scripts, doing T-SQL. Um, and frankly, you know, almost 20 years as a DBA, the SQL Server Management Studio is my bestest buddy in the world. So using a, you know, a, a different tool set where I can just go into SSMS and do all the code coding exactly the way I'm used to doing it invisibly, right? All I have to do is actually make the change to the object and the tooling will say, hey, you've made a change to this object. Can I check that out for you? Can we then check that back in for you? And, you know, I mean, sure, great, right? I mean, it's, yeah, the the tools make things simple. They really do. And, And again, if you're shooting for that mechanism, if you're shooting for that automated deployment mechanism, You've got to start going through tooling. You can't, you're not going to be able to automatically deploy a manual process. It's just not going to happen. Would you recommend keeping the database source code uh, and histories in the same places as you keep your software source code and histories? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if you if you want that tight coupling, um, you're going to have to put them into the same projects. Uh, you can separate them. You know, you can definitely put different permissions on them. I mean, most of the source control systems I've worked with are, are very, very amenable to that type of thing. So it's not, you know, you're not exposing things more than you would be otherwise. Um, you know, you can even put tight security on there so so people can't see things if you don't want them to. Kind of defeats the purpose of you know opening up things for developers, but but if that's where you have to go, then you could do that. But um, I would definitely recommend tighter coupling, tighter integration. Um, work with the developers. You know, get get right in there. You know, I mean, and, and you know, I'm assuming more of your audience is probably uh, development focused and the DBA focused. Tell your DBAs, man. Tell them to come talk to me. I will, I will get them on the right track. I suppose that's the other thing. If you're, again, your DBAs are working closely with your developers, all that experience and knowledge is easy enough to say, this is how you do it. And these are the problems you face. And here, oh, I know what to do when you've got that conflict. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, when you have to merge a branch, um, the first time you do one of those, I mean, it, that's, a, that's a religious experience, right? I mean. <laughs> it can go wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you you want somebody to hold your hand through that, and uh, you know. So again, you're you know if you're working with a development team and you you've got they've got the that ability and they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah we know what's going to happen here that's it's just makes it a lot easier. And and the first time I did a branch, the first time I did a merge, um, and and again I the first time I did a merge with TFS, I couldn't believe I was done <laughs> when it was finished. Um, but the first time I did a merge uh, merge with with TF or no I say TFS you first did. time I did it was it was Git. I couldn't believe I was finished. Um, first thing I did it with TFS, man, I burned the house down. It was really bad. It's a good thing we had a backup. <laughs> and once you've got everything into source control, what have you gained? Well, once you've put everything in source control, you've picked up a number of things. First off, again, talking just to the DBAs, auditing. You've got that ability to know who made what change when, and that's an extremely useful thing. 
Um, if for nothing else, it actually satisfies certain uh, requirements of Sarbanes-Oxley and some of the other um, legal requirements for knowing who did what. Further, you've got a tight coupling between the application and the database because you can keep their versions or their branches in sync so that you've got those things together. Also, you've got a common communication mechanism with your development team. We're, you know, we're branching the database, we're going to version 1.1.1, you know, whatever mechanisms you guys have in place. And, and, you know, again, not dictating the mechanism, but whatever those are, you're going to be able to integrate within them and get those communications off so that things are going. Also, you've just got the simple versioning that, that you get out of source control. I made a change last month. What the heck was it? I don't know. Let me go back and look at the code. Oh, wait. Yeah, I see what I did there. Did I put a comment in when I checked it in? Yes, I did because you should always put your comments when you check in. Now I know why I made that change. I know what I did, and I can validate those things You know, go, going forward in time or, or even go, what was I thinking? <laughs> and undo it, right? Roll it back. And that ability to comment, of course, will save you having to do it in line in store procedures or the like. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes quite messy from what I've seen. Yeah, extremely so. I I, I forced at one point, um, as, as an evil DBA, I forced everyone to put every time they made changes to the code, I put had them put comments in the header. We were getting to the point where our headers were bigger than the code, and uh, it was ridiculous. Um, and, and that was, again, pr- prior to um, our ability to get things into source control. So it, it was an attempt to, to replicate what source control can give us and, and frankly failed. It was really bad. I, I, I would never do it again and I'm sorry I did it and I apologize to any of the developers who remember that, that horrible thing. And then with versioning, is it easy enough to label something as um, this is the release, this is a pre-release, this is a test? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's uh, whatever mechanisms the development teams are already using in place for, for exactly those things, you're able to integrate directly with them. I mean, that's uh, that's why I love it. It's just it's taking advantage of all of the work that development teams have already done for you and just plugging in, right? And so you follow along with those processes. And, and there's just no – there's no serious pain points in there um, beyond the pain points that developers are going to hit – you know, are, are hitting today. Again, you know, we, we talk about merge issues um, – you know, when you've got branches, that's always a pain point. Well, we're, it's going to be a pain point for the database as well. But it's a known pain point. It's a known issue. And, and most of the solutions that you already have for development teams are going to work the same way for the, for the DBA teams. Um, so it, it's not, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're really not talking about this some radical concept. It's just, it's a step that DBAs haven't taken and so get them to get them to take it, it it's something somewhat radical but once they've done it, it again it's just integrating into the existing process so in order for dbas to work let's say on database tables or procedures and the like would you advocate everyone having their own sql server installed as opposed to using a shared dev server yes um i've i've done both and um, you can make the shared dev server work. It's possible. Um, it takes uh, a higher degree of communication, and we all know communication's a problem already um, for for everyone. I'm not not claiming I'm great at communication. I'm I'm saying out front I communicate poorly. <laughs> um, and so the integrated 
common development, I shouldn't say integrated, the common development environment leads to issues because of the communication breakdowns that can occur um, just naturally between two people, let alone three, five, eight, sixteen, you know, depending on how big your development team is. And I just avoid it. Um, your, your initial common integration point is, again, source control. We can talk about continuous integration and all that stuff, but the main thing I, I would say is that you have sandbox servers for most of your initial development, um, and those can be either you know running on your local laptop or VMs that you share or VMs on your laptop. I mean, there's a number of ways that you can resolve that, but I definitely suggest having a sandbox server, not uh, a common development platform. It, it's... <laughs> It's problematic, and I, I can tell you some horror stories. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, there was one thing I was going to ask you there. Is, is there any of these tools that keep your source, keep your database source control? Do they have an ability to check what's in source control compared to what's in a database? Yes. Yeah. Um, both both the tools I've already mentioned, uh, SSDT from Visual, uh, Visual Studio and um, SQL Source Control from Redgate, both have that exact ability. Uh, they can they can just do a quick compare of the structures that are that are there um what you know whatever store procedures whatever make a comparison to what's in source control and and identify hey you've got either there's been a newer version or you have a newer version but whatever there's been drift and there's going to be a mechanism in place for you to to you know assess what you have to do at that point so whether then, it's like the DBA who came in at 3 a.m., he doesn't necessarily have to remember exactly what he did. It's very easy for him to find out and subsequently make notes and check it in. Absolutely, because what he can do is go in and you know get uh, get the quote release version of you know the database out of source control, compare that to what's in the database, and go, oh, yep, here's the four items I changed. Capture those scripts, check them into source control, relabel, off you go. One of the big things that I like about having everything in TFS is the ability to perform continuous integration and then automated deployments. Yeah. Are those things possible with SQL? Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's continuous integration. I'll, I'll talk about that as talking about uh, automated deployment um, just because it, it, it's a little easier for my brain. Of course. Um, the um, continuous integration has got two mechanisms that you can use. Um, Let's just let me rephrase that. Automated deployment has two mechanisms you can use. You can do a complete replace of the database, or you can do incremental builds. With a continuous integration server, what I've generally done when I've set up these for various people is I've done both, because what you get is, is with a complete replace of the database. You've get, you can do a very fast on every single check-in, every single change, immediately replace the database, rebuild the entire thing, and find out if there's any structural issues. If there are, raise the error. Somebody, you know, hey, continuous integration server build failed. You need to go back and fix, find out, find out what's wrong and fix it. I also add in an incremental build, and that one we do less frequently couple of maybe twice a day once a day um but that one you have data in place and then you actually do a deployment and you have this the tool and again either ssdt or or um sql source control 
can deploy incremental changes, meaning only the changes we made to a database with data in it, and then you can test all that to validate that that deployment. I wouldn't say it's going to, you know, this will work in production, but you very quickly identify um, glaring issues. Hey, yeah, the deployment worked, but we lost all the data in the table. That might be a problem, right? And so with continuous integration, you also get um, continuous testing and automated testing. And so you can validate those things very quickly. But the real key is is, that, is the ability to then automate those builds. Now, there are some issues around that, though, um, some, some shortcomings, frankly, and it goes back to data retention. It goes back to the issues of a database. If you've got what I call breaking changes, um, those are, let's say you're, oh, dropping a column is easy. Let's say that you're adding a column – but it doesn't have a default value, but it needs data in it. it you know, it, it, it's a not null column, but it has to have data in it, but that data has to get pulled from a particular source. That is difficult, right? That's a hard change. That's a breaking change because if you have to do that, you're going to um, possibly uh, cause your deployment to fail because it, it, it's going to be weird. So then you actually have – that's when the DBA has to do or, – or the database developer or whoever is that's setting up these build processes has to do some manual labor. And what you have to do is build out the script that's going to do the things that you need to do and then use – and again, these third-party tools have mechanisms of both – again, both Visual Studio and SQL Source Control. They have mechanisms in place to say, okay – Here's a script I want you to run. Um, in the case of Visual Studio, you've got these pre- and post-deployment scripts. So you can say, well, run this after the deployment's finished. And this is the additional script that does this breaking change. Um, SQL Source Control is a thing called migrations, which will actually identify a particular change. Hey, I'm modifying this column or I'm adding a column. That change, I want you to, instead of doing the normal thing you do, which is compare source control to the existing table, I want you to just substitute the script that I have. So once I've built out that script, then it can substitute that for that one change. And it will do it for every deployment going forward for that given change. Um, once you get you know away from that change, then things, you know, the rules change from that point forward, right? But, but um, it's, uh, again, both these tools allow for that mechanism. But that is the one issue in, automated, in automating a database deployment um, that you're going to run into. But if you hook into um, these tooling, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, it, it makes it easy. It doesn't eliminate the issues, but it makes it easy. I mean, it's difficult with software, obviously, as well. So I, I can't imagine why it would be anything different. Right. Are, are the tools fairly mature at this point for continuous integration? They are now. Um, you know, when I first started doing this stuff, and 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 you know the, the development teams I worked with, I worked with some very mature development teams. I mean, and and I learned a lot from them. I'm really thankful that I worked with these guys. They were doing CI about seven, eight years ago. I mean, these guys were pretty hardcore. I mean, it, and um, they they built their own they built their own CI process. They built their own CI servers, and they you know and they were putting all this stuff together. Ultimately, they they've hooked into all the third party tools that are available, but. But initially, they were doing it all on their own, and then they were coming up to me going, okay, we need automated deployments. I'm going, yeah, good luck. 
<laughs> but we worked together and we came up with some mechanisms that, that, that got it done. And then we started working with some of these tooling, uh, tools. Um, I first started with visual studio and worked with that for several years. Um, and then, I, um, and then I started working with the Regate tools and initially, no, they were horrible. Like three years ago, they were, they were crap. I mean, it just, just unmitigated bad stuff. Um, but now, um, it's push button. You can get to the point where it's just completely seamless and largely, but not completely flawless, um, on deployments. And so it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, they're that mature. Um, I know that, uh, the CI server in Visual Studio, um, directly connects into SSDT with no issues at all. And, uh, Redgate has got a whole series of tools we've put out. Um, supporting um, PowerShell command line mechanisms um, so that you can hook into you know Jenkins, Bamboo, TeamCity, and do continuous integration um, in an automated fashion um, just really simply. I mean, it's just really straightforward stuff. With regard to automated testing, is that a relatively easy thing to implement now for databases? Yes and no. Um, it depends on how much a purist you are. If you are a complete purist in terms of uh, unit testing and that type of stuff, it's the language that the code is written in must be the language that the tests are written in. And frankly, T-SQL is a pretty bad language for testing. It's not real good with asserts and all this other stuff. So um, the mechanisms you have are, uh, in vis- again, talking Visual Studio, um, the test suites that are available to you uh, from your app code um, you can use with SQL Server. You will have to write app code for the tests. You're not going to be able to write T-SQL tests. You can write T-SQL in the tests, but the tests themselves are going to be written as app code. On the Redgate side, we've got the stuff inside of Management Studio, and we're taking advantage of an open source uh, framework uh, called T-SQL T. And that's a T-SQL testing framework that allows you to use T-SQL, but it uses um, CLR, a common language runtime code, inside the database so that you can do things like asserts and all that stuff for testing, but, but wrap it around a T-SQL statement. And it's, it's a little – I don't – it's not – kludgy is a bad word because it's, it, it's, it's mature, but it's work. Mm. <laughs> and. I'm lazy, so my tests are sometimes bad. <laughs> so would you That's, would you recommend using app code for testing? Um, well, you know, again, it, it depends on who's writing it. If the application developers are writing it, yes, absolutely. You guys write the app code. You can plug it directly into, um, again, individual studio. You can make it a part of the process we're going through, and um, there should be no issues. If it's a DBA writing it, um, or, or or even a database developer who's much more focused on T-SQL, Again, yes, we can write it, but I don't think we're going to write very good tests if you're going to make us write it in C-sharp, F-sharp, whatever it is we're using today. And so in that case, I would want to go with the T-SQL-T framework. Um, and, and we've got uh, – you know, it's, it's called SQL test, imaginative name. Um, but, it, but it's a wrapper, a GUI, a, a graphical user interface wrapper around um, what you can do with, with the unit testing stuff. It, it absolutely works. It works well, um, and I've been using it um, for quite a while now because, 
you know, I, I, I believe in, in automated testing as much as I believe in automated deployment. In fact, th- why would you do automated deployment if you're not going to do automated testing? I mean, it's just crazy. So it, it's a fundamental part of the aspect of it. I'm, again, I'm not a fan of unit testing every line of code in T-SQL. I think it's, um, I think that's a bit of a time waster. It's a bit foolish, but process, big processes, mechanisms, um, you know, functionality. Yes, we, we build tests around those. And because we can automate them, um, because, and because we can integrate them as part of either the CI process or the check-in process through source control, we can get those tests that run as we make the changes. So you can actually see them occurring right on the fly. If you, you know, if you've got a bad piece of code, when you check it in, you can go, oh, crud, look, it failed the test. Or you can even run the tests before you check it in, which is the better approach. <laughs> I was just going to ask you that. Are there some protections on some of the source control systems to block uh, a change that will break a test? Um, that Honestly, that's a great question, and I don't have a good answer for you. I don't think Redgate does it, and I am not sure how that works in Visual Studio. So uh, that's a good question. No, I don't know. No problem at all. No, no, I love those kinds of questions. Um, uh, questions I don't know are the ones I learn from. So, are there any other <laughs> issues around um, the continuous integration or the deployment that you'd like to tell me about? Not really. Um, again, it, it's you know the 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 main issue. The main issue from a database standpoint is that is that um, breaking change. Those changes that are going to cause potentially cause data loss. And those are the ones that you have to work around. And, and sometimes those workarounds might be manual. You know, you just may hit a situation where, doggone it, this particular situation, we've got nothing but a manual process. I'll give you one example on that, and that's um, replication. Replication is a bear. Um, if, you, if you're trying to do automated deployment and maintain your replication stuff, brother, good luck. Because <laughs> I've never seen it done. Not successfully. And uh, I've never done it. Not successfully. I'm, in fact, we found one place where we were like, do we really need replication? And we kind of came up with another mechanism and said, cool, shot that in the head, put it away, and, and did something else. Because it was just too painful for, for a, a continuous integration, a continuous deployment process. It, it just did not support it. So as an alternative to using uh, some of the more established tools, something I've been working on for the past month or month and a half or so has been using Entity Frameworks migrations for setting up the database. The aim was to have that lovely F5 experience. New developer gets source control, checks, pulls everything out, has latest, presses F5, hits the migration, migration. Uh, creates a database, puts in the user, seeds the database, runs the application, and hey, presto, you can log in and everything is done. Right. Uh, I've found that you know, entity framework migrations have a lot of what you need, but they're definitely missing a few things, like bizarre, well, maybe not bizarre, but things that you might not look for immediately, like um, clustered indexes with some conditions on them. It isn't able to spot those, generate the code for them. What's your view on using the likes of Entity Framework, rather Entity Framework migrations, right. as part of this source control system for databases? I'm I'm in favor. I'm not I'm not one of those DBAs who's who's um, freaked by Entity Framework. Um, I think the Microsoft guys have done a great job putting Entity Framework together. 
Um, the, the, especially the, the newer releases, the, the T-SQL code that's generated is, is, you know, good (laughs) compared, especially compared to what it used to be. Um, I think that you are moving into an area where it's going to make, um, automation more difficult, um, there's migrations are good, right? I'm not knocking migrations. They they are good. They do work. Um, but the issues that they run into, especially when you're going to try to automate stuff is around, um, again, back to breaking changes. Um, they, if it identifies a, a breaking change, it's actually very smart and, and conservative and I, and, and DBA should appreciate this. It won't do the deployment, which is awesome. Right, so if you've got that that incremental change, right, not not the not the easy one, right, which is the complete replace. You know, the scenario you said, here's a new developer, yeah. click, here's my database, almost. Um, the tough situation is is when you when you say, okay, well, this is release one point one, and now we've got data, and it's got to retain it. Um, the framework, uh, sorry, the migrations tool will will stop deployments and just say, I, I can't do this. And you, again, you will have to step in and manually create scripts. But what you think can... the Entity Framework migration will allow you to perform the task that you need, is my understanding. I well, yeah, because... Well, I, I, can... I haven't gotten to the point where I've gone from version 1 to version 2 yet. Like, I've only been at this for a right. month. But my understanding is that it is there. It is. It is. What it, it, again, it's very similar to SSDT. What it has is a pre- and post-deployment. And so it's going to allow you to go in there and for some of the breaking changes, create a script that will, you will run before it runs its little compare utility. And that's going to allow you then to, to introduce some funky change. It will run the compare and go, hey, look, well, source control and the thing match because of the pre-deployment script. So I don't have to do that bit of deployment. I'll keep going. And so it, it, it works. But it, but it is going to require some manual setup on your part. But that's, again, that still goes back to that automated automation ability. Um, it's still there because if you can do a pre-deployment or a post-deployment to get to where you need to be and it does most of the heavy lifting for you um, in the middle, great. Let's go for it. You know, there's no reason not to use it. And it's um, it's available from the command line. So that means you can, you know, automate it through MS build or through PowerShell or whatever mechanisms you have in place. So yeah, let's, you know, why not? I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's not as sophisticated. Um, it's certainly um, not. Yeah, it's certainly not conducive to the DBA um, exercising a, a level of control because everything is still in co- code until the deployment is generated, and then there's a script that it that it can you know that they can look at. Um, so that's that's. One thing that that uh, you know some DBAs are going to push back on, um, but I, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me. No, because I like you say, though, by the time you've reached the generation of the SQL, it's if you're going with automated deployments, it's already in the database. Yeah, and again, it's more complicated as you as, as again you've mentioned. If you are going from a version one to a version two with a complicated change, now you have the you, know, you can mitigate it by testing it out in your dev and your staging and so on. Right, but and should right your first deployment, except you know, except that three AM situation, your first deployment to production. You know, I mean, your first deployment of any bit of code should never be production. 
No, no, no. <laughs> I've seen it, but it should. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. So then, do you see um, entity migrations as a competitor to the SSDT and the, the Redgate tooling? Yes and no. I think it's I think it's an augmentation, right? Because not everyone one not everyone's going to go with entity framework. I mean, there's there's great reasons to use it, but there's also reasons not to not to pursue it. And if you're not pursuing it, do you then a, abandon the concept of of deployment? No, heck no. You're still going to be able to do that. Um, I, it it is something of a competitor, but I suspect um, what's going to happen over time is is that there's especially on the, on the Visual Studio side. Um, there's going to be a lot more tighter, tighter integration is going to be done. I mean, it's not going to be, oh, there's migrations and there's Visual Studio deployment. It's, it's, there's going to be a more tight coupling. Um, I, I can't imagine Microsoft isn't already working on something along those lines. Um, I, I don't know anything, but, but think, uh, it wouldn't shock me. I think one of the weaknesses we found with it was the scenario where you've got, let's say, um, version 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And you're at version 5, and you maybe want to roll down to 2, or let's say you want to go from 2 to 5. It doesn't support that jump from the 2 to the 5, from what oh. I can tell. Now, we've done some custom work, um, which is resolving it, but it is the kind of thing you look at and you say, you, you kind of wonder, why didn't Microsoft think of this scenario? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> why didn't they think of that scenario? I mean, because SSDT does that just fine. Right, SSDT can look in your source control and you can say, well, I want version 6, version 2, and my database is on version 27. And you can get you know, a quick comparison and it will say, you know, I mean, again, there may be breaking changes, but except for those, it'll go, yeah, sure, I can make this happen, and off it goes, no problem. And you can even, I mean, I don't recommend this, but you can even tell SSDT, hey, you know what, don't worry about those breaking changes. Anything you find, make it deploy. It'll work fine. Oh dear. Yeah, don't don't do that. No, no. <laughs> but but there is a setting for you know. I think think they ought to call it you know here shoot yourself in the foot setting. Yeah, I think even the uh, <laughs> the most mild mannered DBA would be opposed to that kind of thing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of a surprise that they wouldn't support that because it, it or like I said, I mean it's right there in SSDT and it's been there for you know since the beginning. So. I get the impression with a lot of the entity framework stuff, they kind of choose their battles. Maybe they've got maybe a, a somewhat of a limited resources or team, perhaps, right. and they pick the things that most people will need. And as you said, you know, they've gone from producing poor SQL to producing SQL that's probably as good as any average developer is ever going to write. Well, probably better than an average developer is going to write, to be honest. Yeah. And I and in a lot of scenarios, entity framework is. I presume much better than maybe not as optimal as a store procedure in some cases, but what you gain is enormous. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, the, I I actually love the whole concept of the entity framework because and and the other ORM tools. I, I actually love them because ninety five percent of the code that goes into a database ninety 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 five. I mean, pick, pick a number. Let's, let's let's be conservative and say eighty five. But a vast majority of the code that goes into databases is junk, right? It insert into table X. I don't want to write that. I have no problem with you generating that code, right? And and you got a piece of you got a piece of software that pulls that together and spits it out great. And most of the select statements, same thing. 
oh, you're going to pull from these four tables and it's doing an inner join and, and a where clause on the ID or, or whatever the primary key column is. Cool. We're done, right? You've got all that generated. Awesome. Make my work easier. I am happy for you. It's, you know, that, that five, 10, 15%, you know, the, the hard bits, entity framework day one supported store procedures. So if we hit, you know, one of those queries that are problematic, okay, fine. We write a store proc for that and entity framework calls the store proc. Okay. Again, done, right? It, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think, I think those things work great. Most DBAs I've known have not really liked entity framework. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I've known some friends of mine at financial companies and they're saying, oh, no, we'll never use an ORM system. But, you know, again, I think it goes back to that whole no, no. Right. Yeah, it, it is. But it's, it's also, it's, um, it's a lot, it's, well, okay, it's two things. It's a lack of understanding on the DBA's part. But the one issue that I've run into, um, I started two ORM projects uh, my, in my previous company. And one of the ORM projects, um, you know, very early days in, in ORMs, very early days in, in development teams, knowledge of ORMs. And they used the Hello World example of the ORM tool, which come to find out, once, once you really drill down on it, is the absolute, honest to God, worst possible way to do the coding, right? Here's, here's this. Let me introduce you to my code, but I'm going to introduce you to my code by writing the worst, baddest way to write it. Just, just You're going to choose every option that you should never, ever, ever enable, and we'll set it up because – why? Because it's easy. And, and so that was the default mechanism that they set up, and they just ran. They had like 5,000 objects and all this stuff, and it was generating the worst T-SQL you've ever ever seen in your life and they're sitting there going well gosh we don't know why things are running slow and and yeah that the dba team was fighting with them on the orm and all this other stuff at the same time we had another development team come in and they're going and they walked up to me and said grant we're going to do this entity framework thing what do you think i'm like have you looked at these guys over here and they're like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to do that what how can we work together what do you need? You know, I'm like, well, you know, show me how it does stuff. And so they, you know, they sat down, they showed me how it does stuff. I'm like, well, see this, this is stupid. And they went, okay, well, let me find out. Oh yeah, we just have to change a setting and it won't do that anymore. Oh, cool. That's great. You know what I mean? And and almost instantaneously, again, talking to the DBA team and, and, and the DBA saying, you know, not no, but yes, we really quickly got them going and, and they had the entity framework app done. It was running where everybody was happy. It worked well. Um, we wrote like three or four stored procedures out of out of all the query calls. I mean, it was almost no work at all for me. And and there was there's a, a structural database put together correctly, um, you know. And the coders had stuff out the door, and everybody was happy. Man, you know that's how it should be done. It so, I, and that was at a financial services company too. It's very easy <laughs> now to just check what uh, what's being produced by Entity Framework with a tool like Glimpse or just with the SQL Profiler. Yeah, and you'll get, I mean Glimpse. If you uh, you've you've used Glimpse, it's it's incredible. Oh, yeah. you get it all on the page, and there it is. There it's what's executed for rows returned. Sort of. Oh, but I only expected one. You were using lazy loading. Should I consider turning off lazy loading? So it, it teaches you about how it does it. Right. Oh yeah, I know. It's I think it's great. I mean, and, and it's just amazing that again we got to get DBAs to say yes. 
and yes, or maybe yes, but maybe that needs to be, you know, DBAs need two words now. Mm. Yes, but, you know, <laughs> yes, yes, but, but no. <laughs> well, yes, but let me look at it. Yes, but let me understand what you're doing. You know, yes, but let's communicate on this and, and come up with the best mechanisms. There's, there's no reason why, especially with, with all the tooling available to us, with all the mechanisms available to us. I mean, the stuff we've talked about tonight, um, you know, it, Continuous integration, source code control, you know, automated deployment, automated testing, all of this is available to to the app code, but it's also available to developers, uh, to to databases, and with all of that stuff available, there's no reason why an immediate response to, hey, we've got this, you know, slightly different mechanism for doing stuff. What do you think? The answer should be yes, because I've got all these safeties and and mechanisms in place so that I can validate what you're doing is not going to burn down the house. Or in the event right? it does, I can easily roll it back. Right, exactly. If some unexpected scenario occurs because now you've got versioning, you you can easily pull what's in your source control out into your production. Right, exactly. 100%. So one of your book choices is a novel. Again, I had, I had a previous guest who also picked a novel, and this one's called the Phoenix Project. Why did you pick that one, Grant? Um, all right, quick story. Hopefully, hopefully we got time for this. Um, I'm at the uh, MVP Summit last year, and there a guy walks up, and he's carrying around a box full of books. And he, anybody who will will, will make eye contact with him, he always oh, one of he, those. Yes, he will immediately whip out the book and hand it to you. You know, you need to read this, right? And so, you know, I, I, here I am. I received this book, The Phoenix Project. And um, great. You know, I put it in my bag. I went back to, you know, went back, went back home and I pulled it out of my bag later. I was like, what the heck is this? And, you know, I look on the back and it's like it's a novel about IT. And I, at that point, I almost threw it in the trash, right? I mean, it's just, it's just that close. It's a novel about IT. But I sat down and I read it. And, and once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. I finished it in a day. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really crap novel, okay? Don't make no mistake. As novels go, this is bad. But as parables go, it's awesome. It is this amazing story about DevOps, about integrating developers and databases and, and you know, operation systems and getting teams to work together. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Great read. I finished it in a day. I mean, it's you're going through and you're going, oh my God, I've worked with this guy. Oh, I worked at this company. You know what I mean? And it's just all the horror stories and stuff. It's all stuff that, that many, many, many of us have gone through and, and you can identify with and you will rip through the book and it'll get you excited about DevOps. It really will. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say I, I looked askance at the man with the box of books, but, but he was right. <laughs> he knew the truth. He yes, knew the way. He did. <laughs> so have you been able to convince people to read it? Uh, yeah, I've actually gotten a whole bunch of people to read it. Um, most of uh, Redgate, uh, most of the developers at Redgate have read it now. And, um, um, you know, I mean, occasionally I'll get something thrown at me, but, but for the most part, they're very appreciative. They, they think it's awesome. You were saying that the authors they also write nonfiction. Yeah, the 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 guys who wrote it, um, what Gene Kim, Kevin Bear, uh, George Spafford, um, they've also got a number of other books that they've written um, on DevOps uh, development mechanisms. Um, you know, it's it's pretty clear that that they they put this together. You know, they did it on purpose, right? They they put together a novel to try to to try to get across the idea of DevOps and. Um, 
it worked. I mean, it, it really is. Um, the, the other book they have is called The Visible Ops Handbook. I've not read that one. Um, another book that they do recommend, um, I think it's on my, on my list that you're going to post, is um, Continuous Delivery, um, which, which is a great read. Um, but that's a you know, very focused you know, nonfiction. I was just looking at the reviews for uh, The Phoenix Project on Amazon, and it gets four and a half stars out of you know, 600 and something reviews. Yeah. So, yeah, people seem to like I believe it. Yeah, it, it's it's a good book. It, I mean, it's it's a bad novel, but it's a good book. <laughs> you mentioned to me earlier that you're going to a conference in September. Uh, what's that one about? Uh, November, actually. November, sorry. Um, yeah, no worries. The um, the Pass Summit. It's the um, professional. Well, they've they've just changed the name. It's now just called Pass. Uh, the Pass Summit's a SQL Server um, data professional. Um, Summit. It's uh, the largest SQL Server conference out there. It's about 5,000 people. Um, we're getting together in Seattle. Um, I have a pre-conference seminar, full-day seminar on query tuning. And um, I would sure love it if you guys, if you want to learn about query tuning, head out to Seattle. Um, it's one full day. All we're going to talk about is how to identify which queries are running slow and how to, how to you know, make them run fast. Just so happens, my new um, the ver- new version of my book, um, SQL Server Query Performance Tuning, um, is coming out for SQL Server 2014, and that's coming out September 19th. So um, that's going to be right there um, as part of the query tuning and all that stuff. Speaking of the conference, though, let me just mention um, we are trying to raise money for Doctors Without Borders, and part of what we're doing it's it's called Argenis Without Borders, A R G E N I S. Um, it, uh, started out as a little con- a little contest to try to get, um, our genus to do something, but it's expanded. And now there's going to be several of us, including myself, who, if we raise $10,000, um, we're going to wear rainbow fuzzies, um, which are these ridiculous things that go on your legs, um, for going to raves, I guess. And, uh, we're going to take pictures and all that fun stuff, but, um, we're just trying to raise the money for, for Doctors Without Borders and, and going to do something silly if you if you give us the money so um please help us out with that will you wear them for the the whole length of the conference uh no <laughs> okay if, if we make if we make ten thousand, i will wear them for a photograph if we make twenty thousand, i will present um i've got a, another session on um uh, statistics uh, exciting topic um i will present wearing them um, but you're typically but, standing behind a podium though eh, yeah no not me i run around okay <laughs> So yeah, it'll, it'll they'll be visible. Grant Fritchie, Scary DBA, thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
opening music was The Return by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Adventure Darling by Gillicuddy from the album Plays Guitar Again. <laughs> 